Well, I think the legacy of making As Goes Janesville, there's sort of two. One is that divide and conquer has become a phrase that, at least in Wisconsin politics, is used all the time because of that 38 seconds of footage with Governor Walker talking to the billionaire donor, Diane Hendricks, about his plan to divide and conquer the unions. And I have a, an alert still set from back in the day and um, always getting alerts. It's usually like uh, opinion pieces that people write or, or editorials that uh, invoke divide and conquer from that moment. So that's kind of an enduring legacy, I suppose. For me, it's about also the relationships. And so one of the people that I stayed close to from that film is Tim Cullen, and who was a state senator at the time. And we went on to do another project together called What Happened to Wisconsin Nice, which is about the divisiveness in our state, which was once kind of known as, you know, good government, purple state, everybody kind of got along, and now we're more polarized than many states. Um, and so we made a piece for the Washington Post and PBS. It was a joint project called Whatever Happened to Wisconsin Nice, and Tim was in it. And Tim introduced me to his former Republican colleague, Dale Schultz. And so it was kind of going out to different locations in Wisconsin and talking about politics with folks at like a gun show um, in the home of a man whose son had been uh, beaten up by kind of white vigilantes and killed. Um, we went to um, a political rally, you know, different things that were going on in the state. So it's kind of like one project spawns other projects because of the relationships. And so I'd say that's kind of the enduring legacy um, of As Goes Janesville. Uh, not to mention that, I mean, it's just gratifying that a lot of people know about that film. and. It was nominated for a national Emmy in long-form investigative journalism. So it's opened doors to, to other opportunities. A lot of what we followed in As Goes Janesville and particularly Governor Walker's policies that are anti-union have been kind of harbingers of what's happened in a lot of states around the United States, around the country, and especially right to work. Um, you know, Governor Walker came in saying that he wasn't even going to consider right-to-work legislation, uh, but he's in that footage I have, he talks about right-to-work also with Diane. I didn't include it in the film, um, but, you know, clearly it was an ambition, and, and I think it was also what he thought would lead to a successful presidential nomination, uh, you know, as a platform of anti-union policy. Um, but I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of that now because with Foxconn coming, for instance, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, is, is Wisconsin being a right-to-work state part of what um, brought a company that size with such a huge workforce to Wisconsin? Um, I was in Tennessee with Asco's Janesville at a conference where labor and management were part of the program and you know they were in the middle of a vote to unionize a car plant, a Volkswagen plant, and um, they had a much more honest discussion about why management also saw advantage in unionization. Um, but here, it was really so characterized as in a divisive framework as, hey, people who aren't unionized, 
don't you hate people who are because they get all these things that you don't? It's such a deliberate, toxic message. I mean, I think that's how our politics are now. You know, there are people in my family who circulate these ridiculous emails with false claims and you know, doc doctored videos to prove some point about how you know, Muslims are terrorizing our country and so forth. And I feel like now our president is that person, you know, someone who just circulates anything that he or she finds, they cherry pick to, to formulate their own argument. Um, it's so hard for journalism to survive right now. I don't know if that's a legacy of Esco's Janesville, but <laughs> it's kind of where we're at right now. I think that there's a lot of people who are just lazy and intellectually and they just, you know, if they see a 30 second video that says that immigrants are streaming through our borders and are, you know, murdering people in our cities and there's images that convince them of that, it's just easier than, say, reading a 2,500 word essay in the Atlantic or in the National Review for that matter. I was just in El Paso, which borders Juarez, and I asked my host, there were about 20 people after the film who took us out to dinner, and I said, you know, tell me about El Paso. Is there high crime because you're a border state? Uh, what is, is there an immigration problem? Is the wall that I see, there is a wall there, is that insufficient? Um, they said, no, these were 20 Jews, uh, mostly you know, with European backgrounds, who said, I've, I work with Spanish-speaking people every single day, they're partners in businesses, the town is 80% uh, Spanish-speaking, mostly people who came from Mexico. Uh, they have one of the lowest crime rates per capita of any city in America. Um, gang violence is very rare. And while they said going to Juarez is something they don't advise anymore because the drug cartels have made it very unsafe, life in El Paso is kind of wonderful. I mean, I didn't meet anyone who was telling me that they had streams of immigrants who were violent coming over. And they also didn't talk about stealing jobs. Like all this rhetoric is so divisive and nationalistic and tribal, um, but it's bite size as opposed to trying to really understand how communities work.